Welcome back to the show, everybody. I know that it's been a while since I've recorded an episode, and that's completely my fault. Uh, yeah, I've been working through the third quarter of my school year. I've had a couple of projects that I've done around the house, but other than that, nothing really has stuck out. Uh, so, a couple of updates. Uh, since the time of the last episode, I, I've had a couple of things that I've had to change in my schedule, so... Uh, when I upload episodes might be a little more random, but other than that, I think there's not really anything else that I need to say. Alright, uh, thank you all for coming back, and let's keep it rolling. Chapter 8. A lovely little chat, and the third thing. In the Kyberanian Observatory, Dr. Cynthia watched the mountains far off in the distance and sighed, not even flinching when a massive wave reared its ugly head and crashed against the reinforced plexiglass dome. Instead, beautiful aquatic life put on a stunning performance to brighten the recovering doctor's mood. <sighs> well, this is a fine sea cucumber you've gotten yourself into, Doc. You lost probably a multi-million dollar suit, the Sin Hunter name, and worst of all, your boss doesn't even respect you anymore. Cynthia's glances were swapped for goggles to hide her identity, as was customary when she left the undersea lab for downtime and rest from work. But as Cynthia wallowed in her own pity party, the gears began snapping and turning, churning up a brilliant idea. I may be down and out, that may be true. But this Sin Hunter guy, if he's new to hell, he probably doesn't know a whole lot about this place. And that gives me an advantage, having been here for... what is it now? Cynthia rolled up her sleeve, revealing a dial on which she tapped into numbers and opened up her birth date. Hmm, yeah, more than a century. Well, that should give me quite the head start. And besides, Cynthia said, curling her left hand into a pile of serpents and the edges of her lab coat growing talons and a more leathery texture. Morpheus doesn't know about these gifts, I own. And he doesn't need to, either. Fitting, too. Shows a clear superiority of my patience and cunning. Cynthia shifted to lean up against the railing, separating her from a nasty fall into the city, and she swiped through contact after contact on her iPad, finally setting on the name Eleanor. If I know our target, he's likely made some buddies, if anyone at all. He's headed for greed, just like everyone else here. The question now is finding him and tracking him down before he can make a move. Cynthia dialed the number and raised the speaker to her ear, adjusting her goggles as she grinned. Let's see you worm your way out of this fight, Sin Hunter. And right on time, all the way over in the big house, Beelzebub's top casino, Eleanor was quietly strolling across the casino floor, checking in on repairs and any refills for bars and restaurants when her phone began to buzz. She looked up from a, a conversation with a bartender. Oh, excuse me for one moment, she said to a repairman at a blackjack table before retreating to a corner of the floor near the terrace. Hello, she said. Hey, now, I was wondering if you could uh, do me a favor. Think you're down for it? Eleanor's face went from calm and collected to now looking like a toddler had just scribbled over a masterpiece of art with a red crayon. She hurried from the entrance to the casino and up the stairs through the various hotel rooms and floors, visions of the scientist in various assortments of attire flashing in her mind. Uh, hey, Cynthia. Yeah, let me see when I can talk. I'm kind of busy at the moment. Cynthia leaned back on the railing, crossing her arms, confused. You sound exhausted. Have you been running? she asked. Eleanor nodded and finally pressed her hand against a special keypad, entering her own corner suite, and sat herself down on a couch next to a crystal fire. <laughs> yeah, I have. Uh, so sorry, it's been uh, quite the day, let me say. Cynthia's laughter could be heard from the other end. <laughs> yeah, I bet. 
Anyways, I have a question for you. Have you seen the news today? She asked. Eleanor sat forward, nervously wrapping her fingers around a glass of white cherry soda. Yeah, I saw what happened. Are you alright? She asked. Cynthia removed her goggles after checking if anyone was within earshot and rubbed a small scar on her cheek. Yeah, I made out alive. It sucks having that suit destroyed, and by a sinner, no less. Anyways, Nell, I reached out to Ave and Harry. They both gave me their word to keep an eye out for the Sin Hunter. Especially after that publicity stunt, he'll be a threat to all of us, and our employers. Cynthia leaned forward, keeping one hand on the bar- banister, but the tone of conversation seemed to shift, like Cynthia was sitting right next to Eleanor. Just give me a call if you see him, alright? Eleanor nodded, scribbling down notes in her workbook. Yeah, I'm bagging what you're racking. And hey, from one tyrant to another, right? She said, but before she went any further, the phone had already clicked to an end. Eleanor sighed, sinking back into her couch. <sighs> when are you going to realize now? You don't have a chance with that scientist. Eleanor sighed, walking over to her kitchen sink and splashing some water onto her face, drying her features off with a towel, and adjusting her suit and hair before grabbing her clipboard and hurrying back out into the casino's flashing lights and sign. Cynthia, meanwhile, snapped her phone shut and turned to look out at the waves rolling further in. Good, so she's on board. Avery and Harry know absolutely nothing about this, which I'd like to keep that way. Dr. Cynthia hopped down the stairs, eager to get her master plan started, and her mind began to concoct a furious cocktail of brutality and evil. Am I evil? Yes. Is this plan evil? Double down on the positive. I'm a mad scientist, and I'm not afraid to say that. So if this cheap-shot goody-two-shoes thinks he can walk in here and make hell his own little party, he can go join whatever the other Karens have formed their perfect world here. Cynthia rushed down the steps, past paintings and glass aquariums, which boasted the many aquatic life forms of the ocean, thanks to Morpheus, whose genetic structure beyond his suit of indestructible armor was able to snatch the precious, or most precious of creatures from the ocean steps. She only stopped once to look at a glass mirror, and she saw how ragged her hair and attire had become since the battle. And then, she stopped as something began to click. The one puzzle piece in her mind that had been waiting to step in opened the door, shook hands with others, and sat itself down in her mind. Wait. Eleanor wasn't out of breath from running, it couldn't have been, as likely as that is. And I know her. She doesn't usually seem the type to work out. Was it? She turned towards the mirror and stared into her reflection long and hard. Me? She asked, looking at herself in the mirror up and down. Looking to see if nobody was around, Cynthia made absolutely certain that it was her. And then finally, after a few more minutes, she realized exactly what was going on. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was definitely me. Curse this stupid body of mine, she said, stamping her foot on the plexiglass floor. Of course, in addition to my curse and gift of knowledge, they had to throw in just a perfect form made in Satan's own image. I really am living in hell, huh? Cynthia adjusted herself and her goggles, continuing down the stairs. No matter. One thing remains clear. Find the Sin Hunter, catch, kill, and serve his stupid fedora on a platter to Lucifer. Jack made his way down the street, past a few groups of people, and even some couples, though most of these people were much shorter and sported more themed attire around blacks, reds, whites, and golds. Hmm, so this is what side of the town the imps live on. Honestly, this is way nicer than I thought it'd be. Jack kept walking, and despite his well-mannered spirits, he remembered to keep his hat pulled down and talk to absolutely no one. But after some walking for a little bit, Jack made his way into a bar. It was down a few steps and into a cellar beneath an apartment building. He entered, keeping his head down as he entered through the small archway. But once Jack stepped into the room, he was surprised to see how well-kept the imps were. You see, unlike the presumptions made by us, the vermin of hell, imps are actually very clean and friendly creatures of hell's animal kingdom. We humans simply view them as crude and aggressive because our minds are too drunk and mindless to notice these details. Jack, however, was a very rare excuse for this. 
and despite his keeping secrets, he decided to do a very natural thing for the group in the bar. Because whenever Yim turned to stare at the much taller man who had entered their room, Jack removed his hat and moved to hang it up on a hat rack, then found the rack too small, so he nervously looked around the bar. Sorry, I'll just keep it to myself. The imps all returned to their drinks and a few cigarettes, and Jack took a seat at the main bar, looking around to see some adults and even a nice quiet aura that gave the small bar away. It felt different, being somewhere so unique and welcoming in hell. After all the chaos Jack had been through, he was relieved to finally get to sit down for a moment. An imp with rolled up sleeves and a nice little bow tie eventually found his way over to Jack and rested an arm on the table. Well, look at this. You know, there are bars for your kind elsewhere. Not to push you away, but you look mighty cramped there, stranger. Jack smiled and looked up at the ceiling. I'm not that tall. At least, I hope not. I'm here to experience life from a new perspective. The imp, surprised, turned to the drinks and grinned. Wow. You know, first I lose a pal to a gunfight, he said, then turned halfway through to stare at Jack. Shocker, right? He asked. Jack smiled and nodded. I bet, he responded. The imp grabbed a few more bottles and leaned over to his partner when she took over mixing drinks, and he began to wash some mugs. Here I am now, talking to the first non-imp who's walked in here and not outright insulted us for the height. Sorry about the low ceiling, by the way. Jack smiled and waved a hand aside, being careful not to hit anything valuable. Yeah, I've heard that. I imagine it's tough to make a good ally here in hell. The imp turned, pouring Jack a glass of some sort of whiskey, and then grabbed a glass of their own. Ah, allies are easier to make a friend. Now there's the prestige of the magic truth down here. Friends come few and far between. Believe you me, stranger, he said, leaning in close. If you make a friend mad, then you can apologize, but not here, never here in hell. Jack nodded and looked at the small window that shone through a slot in the sidewalk above. I believe it. After all, if you're in hell, you're here for a reason. The imp nodded and held out his smaller, almost scaly hand. Jack, who set his drink down on a coaster, took the hand and shook it well. The name's Bill. We imps mostly come from two places in hell, and that's either Wrath, which seems to be more common, or, if you're like my side of the family, you come from further southeast in Gluttony. Beautiful farming land in that tropical climate. Wonderful resorts and rescue around. Jack nodded and gently leaned back in his seat, being careful not to break it. Huh. So, compared to everything this fiery dumpster has to offer, gluttony is about the best you're gonna get? Bill nodded and set his drink aside. Excuse me one moment, fella. Uh, Haley, you mind covering for the customers a hot sec? Got a nice guy over here. The female imp, whose name was Haley, nodded and swished her white hair aside, walking over to the other end of the bar, which circled around the interior of the room. Ah, good old Haley. We went to those Azteconian resorts for our honeymoon, courtesy of our family. But getting back to what I was saying, gluttony's a fine place to get you going. Uh, it used to be the fields of Asphodel, created by Lucifer, but uh, apparently a lot of locals decided to take it over and really capitalize on the events. Sure, it ain't envy, don't get me started on that place. But gluttony is not what you sinners would call cheap. Only the finest of chefs and culinary artists get to venture their talents in those hallways. And that's without encountering those medicine tiki people whoever it was that tried breaking into my hotel room. Jack nodded and inched forward, staring Bill right in the eyes. Well, I'll tell you what. Have you by any chance seen any of the news today? Bill shook his head, rattling a rag to clean out his glass. Yep. I get a nice shift around 12, and then it's sleep or whatever you folks do at 6 at dawn, and then it's up and sweeping the tables. Jack shrugged and leaned in further, almost in the ring of drinks and shells. Well, listen, I don't have any immediate plans, but from what you were kind enough to tell me, I think gluttony's my best bet. Best I ever could cook up was some fried greens and a hell of a good steak. Slather that thing with some salt and pepper, cut through the hide, and right before departure to the grill, stuff that thing with some southern spices. Jack kicked back, recalling the life that he had lived before. It felt like centuries since then. That is, I used to. Been a bit since I died, but I'm always down to see when a good cook-off might occur. Bill nodded and stared intently at Jack's features. 
You know, I just realized something. For a sinner of your standards, I'm picking up something different. Fresh dead, maybe, but why the imp-like scars? Sinners don't boast red, white, and gold scars and scrapes. Jack stood up and removed his wallet, which thankfully still had all his cash remaining. He laid down a crisp 50 and slid it across the table, then tucked his hat back onto his head. The flaps of his trench coat and his fedora masked his face in shadow again, and he grinned, heading up the steps. Well, let's just say, you've got a funny take on normal in hell. Thanks for the drinks, Bill. See you around. Bill waved goodbye, and then turned in surprise to Haley, who had propped herself up against the table and was smiling as she looked at Bill. What's that grin for? he asked. Haley chuckled and then sighed. Oh, you know how silly you are, right? Chapter 9 Under the Scientific Enigmas and Advancements while the witch hunt, or rather the sin hunt, continued, the media spiraling out of control and flooding the internet with theories, kids dressing up as the sin hunter for school and special parties, then hell's budgetary excuse for TikTok exploding with likes and videos of the fighting in the street, clips of Jack slamming the sin hunter through a building going viral in every corner of hell. But as the saying goes, at least for Morpheus, let the world think for the future and let yourself think 12 steps ahead of that. Morpheus was no stranger to the citizens of the internet and media in hell. In fact, he owned the biggest tech-producing companies in hell, and Riot just. Or not just. More than once, he had snuck a few pieces of his technology up to the living world, and offered charity to those desperate for it. Ah, those stupid humans. You cannot have technology you have yet to earn. You would destroy yourself within a year's time. Morpheus, however, directed his immediate attention to a new prototype suit of armor on his holographic desk. As the aquatic life swirled around the outside of his office, plunged into the heart of the acidic and scalding seas, near shattered by the cooling waves, if not for the ancient technology, Morpheus's mind began to swirl with life and endless possibilities. But one night, while sitting in his office, swiping through videos on his phone to produce some well-deserved ASMR of the living world in hell, his mind finally clicked. More than once, the name Sin Hunter continued to pop into his clammy skull, until finally the message rang true. Of course, the answer was right there in front of me. I've got a moment to lose, I need to go now. Morpheus slammed his hands down on his holographic desk and started from his chair, opening several digital folders that popped from his desk. Morpheus began to open file after file, finding the necessary parts and pieces from each design, extracting and removing. And then, like the tactical, engineering deity of an octopus he was, Morpheus began to play with the jigsaw puzzle laid before him. He snatched a shield from a prototype barrier and swapped the pieces out, then assembling more and more. He grabbed guns from various designs, old failures turned into revived masterpieces. And when the dust settled, and Morpheus' brain finally stopped lighting his pirate's hat on fire, he sat back in his throne, clutching his injured hands. It's... it's indescribable. I'll send it to Satan at once. She'll know how to handle this work. Technomantic Tyrant set forward, and snapped open a hatch on his gauntlet, swiping through numbers and codes, but finally setting on the right code and number. He pressed a button beneath the hatch, and the hologram whirred to life, revealing the glowing aura of the Golden Knight, visor shielding his face from view. What? Sorry, I asked for Satan, not you, you glorified tin can! Where's your boss? His voice boomed, shaking the walls of the undersea laboratory. The Golden Knight fiddled with the end of his lance, and then sat up, crossing his fingers in his lap. Satan's out at the moment, afraid she's on some important business, but I'm happy to take a call. Morpheus snarled and waved a hand out, emphasizing the direness of the message. Satan, meanwhile, laughed behind her golden visor, studded with rare gemstones like golden topaz and blue amber. Nobody knew that the Golden Knight was simply a diversion for her own self-gain. Satan was supposed to be this godly figure who only showed her face for the most crucial of events. The Golden Knight was a suit of armor that allowed her to roam at free will. Shocking, then, that Morpheus was not the first person to know about this. But Satan continued to drone on, drawing entertainment from the now shortened fuse of Lord of Sloth. This is not a joke! Ah, forget it. I'll go find someone a bit more sensible like Beelzebub. 
However, Morpheus did not intend to go get Beelzebub, at least not right away. No, he only spoke of her youngest brother when Satan was nearby, as the Golden Knight immediately jumped up from his seat. Now hold on one minute, Squid, and why should Beelzebub help you any more than Satan? Morpheus grinned and spun on his heel, swiping the hologram onto his electric workbench. Well, you see, my dear billionaire's tin man, at least Beelzebub, although crafty, has the dignity to make an effort to show up to these events, unlike your boss. So, Harrison, you run and tell Satan that I left a message. Now, while Morpheus switched off the call, Satan was fuming in her suit, finally removing her helmet and smashing it on the floor, sitting it back in her uh, gem-studded throne. <sighs> what good is wealth and glory to the rest of hell if you've not a purpose to show your face? Satan stood up and brushed her charcoal black hair out of her face, tying it back into a ponytail and letting her horns slip out, gaining a bit more breathing room. <sighs> Still, not too bad for an imp of my status to be in this life. Harrison! Satan yelled, retrieving her helmet from the carpeted floor and setting it gently on the throne's armrest. Harrison, clad in platinum armor, adorned with fanciful chains and polished silver to line the crevices of his armor, strode swiftly into the room, the lightweight and maneuverable suit of armor providing surprising movement. Yes, boss? What's up? Satan sighed and leaned out over her balcony, looking out at the peach and crimson violet clouded sky that bordered her wonderful kingdom of golden splendor. What am I doing wrong? people are anxious to see more of me in their worthless lives, should I dare to attend more when I've done my part? Harrison scratched what he called a thin beard on his chin, and then joined Satan on the balcony. I think that, for the sake of the public interest, it would be wise to slide some more things into your schedule. Besides, it's not like you're doing anything important right this very second. Satan let out a calm and relieved smile, and then turned to Harrison, her assistant, and embraced him, which Harrison was nothing short of blown away. Thank you for being the only one who understands. I try to maintain a calm and steady patience when I can, and you've always been there when I'm not. Saracen held out his arms in return, and leaned back to give his boss more of a hug. What was it you told me day one? It's my job, Satan. I'm always happy to work for an imp as charming and intelligent as you. That's all for today's episode. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope to see you again at some point in the future. Have a good week. Oh, I can't talk today. Really? At the end of this? Anyways... Have a good week, everybody. I'll see you soon.